Hey, I'm Dwayne. And I'm Jennifer. And together we're doing a podcast, Roots. The Unseen Life. Come on a journey with us. You'll produce a system of roots that will stabilize you and... Produce fruit. We're going somewhere. Come along with us. Hey, hey, hey. want to welcome you. Hey, baby. It's Roots. To the Roots, the podcast, The Unseen Life. I'm so excited um, with our uh, guest today. So as you guys know, we're doing some on our own, but also just love to have a guest jump in. And so it's John Tyson. And so uh, we met when? Probably maybe three years ago would have been? I don't know. It was a few years back. I know it was meant to be like a a 45-minute meeting, and it sort of turned into most of an afternoon sitting on a roof overlooking New York City. So I love it. I felt like... These are my people immediately. Yeah, oh, a little for, sure. for me too. And, and just... we even we referenced that conversation so much throughout the year going, that was maybe the most refreshing conversation we've had in a year. Yeah. It was wow. just connecting hearts with like-minded people. Like-minded journeys. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I love and that. So... Yes. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. come on. Absolutely. No, this is a major show. Yeah. Yes, so... <laughs> it is in heaven. <laughs> So, uh, hey, just give us, um, just give us a little bit of your story. I'm actually intrigued by it. I love your story, and give us yeah, where the so, accent's coming from. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, I'm originally from Australia. Um, I I grew up there, lived there till I was 20. Um, I became a Christian in a Pentecostal youth revival during the time of the Toronto Blessing. This would mm. be our church is the church that brought Benny Hinn in, Rodney Howard Brown um mike brown all of those major pentecostal uh sort of figures so that was my coming to faith experience that's um loved it i dropped out of high school uh when i was 16 uh to be a butcher so i'm a a butcher by trade i did uh six years in a meat factory but just felt just felt the touch of god in my life i mean it's hard to articulate i just i met I, i felt like I felt like I met Jesus where he basically said, you think fish are good, wait till you catch men. You know, it probably sounds heretical, but I didn't become a Christian because I was convicted of my sin and believed Jesus died on the cross to save me. That actually came later. I became a follower of Jesus because I felt like he expanded the horizons of possibilities for my life in a way that my heart longed for and nobody else could. So it was teaching... Yeah, it was teaching about the kingdom of God, kingdom life, that, you know, God amongst us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there was so much manifest presence of God. It was literally, it was like show and tell, man. I mean, it was like they'd say, hey, here's who the Holy Spirit is. This is what God does. Would you like to meet him? Boom. I remember being slain in the spirit and in and flying across the room. And I felt struck like a bolt of lightning. Hmm. And um, so it was just a wild environment. And then when I try to follow Jesus, I realize, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I'm filled with sin. I need God's mercy. <laughs> but, you know, I, it, it just was a vision that seized my life. I immediately, on the retreat where I became a Christian, I mean, I walked in one person and walked out a different person. Hmm. And um, I, I walked out saying, whatever it means to serve God with the whole of your life, that's what I want to do. So I felt called. I, I, so I just started praying. You know, I'm reading books like Why Revival Tarries, um, a ton of Ian Bounds. Um, you that's know, all why the you pens- like Corey. Yes, no, totally. <laughs> I mean, that stuff was in my spirit. I mean, it was sown yeah. in very sincere and fertile ground, uh, you know, sort of 17, 18, 19. 
Um, and then I was at a I was at a big um, Pentecostal festival called Wonderfest in Sydney that was hosted by Hillsong. This is probably 1994, maybe five. And I'm out praying in a field, and I, I have the closest thing to a New Testament vision I can articulate, life-altering, and I basically felt God tell me, I want you to move to America. I'm wow. 17 years old. So I go to my youth pastor and say, I think God's called me to America. And um, so, as it, so as it turns out, I, I keep praying about that, Lord, open a door for the gospel, open a door for me. You know, I just want to go to Bible college and get trained. You know, no high school diploma. It's hard to get into college in the United States. I didn't know that. I just was like, God will open the door. So one day my dad calls me at work and says, um, hey, you know, I know you've wanted to go to Bible college. I've got a friend who will give you a, a scholarship to study theology. There's only one condition. It's in America. Do you have any interest in moving to America? I was like, well, dad, as it turns out, I do and so, wow. boom, that was it. So I got a scholarship to study theology. It was with um, the Christian Missionary Alliance, most famous for uh, A.W. Tozer, um, Simpson. And, um, yeah, so I came when I was 20 and I met my wife there on the campus orientation tour. We've been uh, married 22 years, happily married 18 years, struggled for two and two years of hell. <laughs> um, anyway. So I didn't beautiful, know amazing about, I didn't I didn't know about that your root system that now gives me so much more clarity um because somehow i had you in a pentecostal um seminary or or bible school so that now no i actually that's beautiful yeah no i actually went to a so it's a long story so that was undergraduate okay for seminary like for for proper seminary or whatever i went to a cessationist cessationist no gifts of the spirit dispensation school Okay. Okay. So I'm here. To, I'm here to learn from the whole body. No, it's. I, I mean, you it are. It makes you richer. It does. There's a definitely yeah. a broad. You're. You know. You, there's more of a, mm-hmm. a well-roundedness to. You know, because your yeah. love for the word theology, but also your love for the spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's. You know, I I, yeah. I I love that. Yeah. So yeah. So somewhere in there, um, I was actually at, I was serving at a church in Nashville as a youth pastor. I went to the first Catalyst conference. Yep. Um, you know. Uh, maybe 20 years ago, gosh, a long time ago. And I heard Andy Stanley say a phrase. He said, when I planted North Point. And it was like the, it was like a rhema. It was like a hot coal from heaven left his mouth. Hmm. And I was like, hang on, what do you mean? You planted a church. Hmm. It was the first time it consciously ever hit me. You could start a church from scratch. I, I know that's like the New Testament methodology, but it just hit me. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, I feel like that's why I was born. Wow. I feel like I've got the pain threshold, entrepreneurial gifts, risk factor, heart for the lost. Wow. And uh, shortly after that, I came up to New York City to uh, after 9-11 uh, to go to a prayer meeting for Brooklyn Tab and just to pray for the city. And um, actually, I'm on the very street right now in New York um, uh, where we stayed and I spent time walking around praying all night right here. And I just fell in love with New York and the combination of a, a city, a global city, a desire to plant churches, and a need in New York. And I just felt like that was my destiny. So 2005, we packed up our house, sold all our possessions, tried to do a book of Acts, and uh, moved to New York to plant churches. So, yeah, I've been here coming up on 16 years now, uh, planting churches, wow. pastoring in New York City, and I love it. Home sweet wow. home. No, I... I mean, <clears throat> I w- you you were an incredible host to us to get the experience. We love New York, and yeah. so, but uh, 
it's hard. It's, it's hard not to. I know. I think it's amazing. <laughs> it is. So there's some questions I want to throw at you, and, and uh, again, just for you who are listening, I I appreciate um, my interaction with John from the perspective of. Um, uh, his love for theology, his love for truth. And I would encourage you to go check out his stuff just because it's in the context. He's a deep thinker. He's incredibly well-read, mm-hmm. has a lot of information, but it's all from a biblical perspective, his communication. And and then he has a, a longing, a, a love for the power of the Spirit. Yeah. And our greatest need in America is a revival. It's right. not... So and, that, yes. and so wait let me just say this and we've loved you know this is funny we as a family watched your um teaching on i think it was uh masturbation transgender and jesus <laughs> and so even you just you just take it on you just tackle you know the elephant in the room in culture the hard subject and i love that yeah. about you so but uh, your titles are really clever that's that's but, so funny yeah i mean that teaching series it, it was just basically look if you don't give people a theology of these things the culture yeah. will and you have right. a pastoral obligation to speak into the things people are actually wrestling with not what you feel like you want to say as a preacher right and um so anyway that was that's a it's always i've always felt awkward when people reference this stuff it's like hey we <laughs> listen to you i was like okay cool <laughs> i love it but um so you know I most of the people that are, are, are tracking with us are in the, the more charismatic world. So the, yes. the river, they're in the flow of the spirit. Yes. Um, and so what I'm, I'm, I'm just observing is encounter experience with the Holy Spirit, encounter with the Holy Spirit is high on people's pursuit. Um, if I had an encounter, if the Holy Spirit touched me, then um, I'm in a good place or, you know, that's, it's very much what we're seeking after. And I want to be a part of a people that are seeking after encounter truth, his presence. But what I'm also recognizing is that when challenging seasons come in our stream to some of our, to some of them in the stream, they're getting knocked off their, their path. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're letting some of the outside voices begin to form their foundational thoughts and opinions about God and about culture. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm seeing a exodus out of the charismatic world today in this generation, with this generation. And so I, I would just like to first, my first question would be to you is what foundational stones do you think maybe some of our churches are lacking in regards to young adults building their lives in truth? Well, I, I think one thing is like the cat. So I am a I am a tongue speaking gift of the spirit intercessory prayer. There's no manifestation that's going to freak me out. I mean, I I'm mm-hmm. so comfortable in a room of people slain in the spirit and laughing. So yep. I am I am not I don't I don't only tolerate that. I I eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. I covet them as Paul says we should. Amen. So I so. That being said, one of the false dichotomies is people think that if you have a knowledge of the word, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. Right. And so there'll be no power. So the increase of theology equates with a decrease in power. Mm-hmm. And this is fundamentally a false dichotomy because um, what we end up with in the charismatic world is where the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, you lack in nothing regarding spiritual gifts, but you're mere humans. So I have to address you like mere men. In yep. chapter three, 
And so I, I think we devalue um, understanding the world according to the way that God's made it. We have a fear that the more we grow in biblical knowledge, uh, the more we're going to quench the spirit. And these are all false dichotomies. Every place the Bible talks about hungering for the Holy Spirit, he talks about the importance of the word of God. And so the Bible always contains the exhortation and the boundary in the same passages. So I always say to say to my friends who are um, who are not charismatic, which is like, I don't want to go to church where it's a circus. I was like, who says it has to be a circus? Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, and then says that everything be done decently and in order. These are the same passages. So I think we have, we have a, if I was Satan and I wanted to destroy the charismatic church, I would introduce a lie that says, theology reduces anointing. That's the lie I would get. Because then what I would do is I'd make people susceptible to conspiracy theories, the flesh, and worldliness. Yeah, and so and so, I think in many ways that's what <laughs> those we're are saying. huge statements right there. I, yeah, this is good. <laughs> Conspiracy theories, that's 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 powerful because I feel like it is a a, a significant it's systemic right now. It's a significant yeah. Well, I think topic we need yeah, to talk part about. Part of the problem, part of the problem is is like, um, you, you know, the Bible was written. It wasn't written directly to us. So the Book of Revelation is not about America. It, 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 it's not. Come on, and if you, Come on. But if you study, if you study, you, you, people say, who's the book of Revelation written to? I'm like, oh, I don't know the seven churches that it says it was written to. You know, like maybe it was actually written to them. There's been so much bad theology that, that sort of come through those things. So I think, you know, particularly that the challenge of, of America is where, you know, like Mormonism is the perfect American religion. Because it says America was so special that Jesus had to come here when he came back from the dead. America is wow. so special. Wow. Jesus had to come here to start an American religion. Wasn't good good enough for him to be in the you know in the Middle East. He had to come to America. That's how special we are. Americans tend to have that sort of um, exceptionalism in them, where we're continually writing our own importance into the middle of the story. Now, now here's what I mean by this. I, I'm in America by choice. I feel cold here. I love it. Right. Um, I don't want to go back to Australia, but you know the the mate, America and the West is one of other uh, places in the world where the spirit is doing the least. You go to Iran, they are having physical manifestations of Christ in the room. Yep. You know you hear yeah. you hear the stories of signs, wonders, people being raised from the dead. They are they are doing the Book of Acts plus in Iran. Yes. 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 You go see what Jesus is doing in in China, some of the Muslim mm-hmm. countries. That's where the kingdom activity is in the world. And I think it's kind of hard for us to yes. sort of be left left out of that activity. And so we're okay. always riding ourselves back into the center, which mm-hmm. is a form of pride. So, you know, I mean, so again, I think we don't have the theological roots. I think we have a bad interpretation. I think there's myths floating around, um, particularly some of the prophetic stuff. Um, so, so if people were to ask me, so you've got biblical prophecy, and then you've got satanic counterfeit. And that's there's another category in the book of Jeremiah. It says they prophesy out of their hearts. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of people just sort of prophesying out of their hearts. They're prophesying what they want to be true. Yeah. Or they're prophesying right. out of human understanding. And it's not satanic. They're not trying to deceive right. you. They're well-meaning people. Right. And they're carried away. They're overwhelmed by the state of the world, and they prophesy out of their hearts. And for whatever reason, 
that seems to have, particularly under the last sort of political cycle, a lot of people prophesying out of their hearts. Pat Robertson's yeah. on TV saying, God's told me Trump's going to win and this is going to be the beginning of the end times. And the next thing there is like, Trump, get out. Biden's the president. Yep. You can't let him get away with that. No, you uh -huh. can't. Turn, cancel your subscription. Turn the Absolutely. TV off. Yep. That's too big. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've got respect for Chris Vallotton. He said, hey, I felt like Trump was going to win. And then he gets on and says, I'm sorry I got that wrong. I respect that humility. I too. do too. Me too. I, uh, yeah, I'm I respect sad he, that. he actually took it. I think he took it down. That, But but I'm with you. you and can't, we saw that statement. You can't let people get away with that stuff. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think we're so, we're, we're so unrooted in God's word. We're dependent on charismatic leaders. And, and honestly, like, so here's another thing that I would say that, that maybe explains this. M. Scott Beck, who was a psychologist who he wrote The Roadless Travel, yeah. ended up becoming a Christian. Um, I believe he became Catholic, but he wrote a, actually a fascinating book on demonic deliverance about is there a Satan? Wild book. However, he basically says that um, spiritual development follows the four stages of human development. So he talks about an infant, an, a, a child, an adolescent, and an adult. And he said there's, there's four defining marks of the stage towards maturity, and there's, um, four, there's four defining marks and there's four things they need. So he said an infant is a consumer. The infant doesn't, like, how much does a baby contribute to a household? Right. It literally just, like, feeds, goes to the bathroom, sleeps and cries. It brings yeah. no value other than its essential worth to the house. Right? Yeah. And it's actually fine for an infant to be a consumer. A, a, child, uh, a child needs certainty. So you have uh, an infant who's a consumer. The child needs certainty. So when you talk to a, like a little kid, everything is very, very simple. It's like there's good and evil. There's the good queen and there's a bad queen. And the yeah. bad queen's bad and the good queen's good. And it's like it's a very simple, it's true, but it's simplistic. Then you get uh, the teenager. And what the teenager does is um, they challenge everything. It's the point of self-actualization. They've got to, they have to press the boundaries. They need to get out on their own. And then you get the adult. And what marks the adults uh, is basically contribution. And a healthy adult will believe what the child believes about good and evil, but with nuance, not simplicity. Yeah. So a parent will say to a seven-year-old, yes, that is a bad queen. But she's not bad because she's mean and cast spells. She's bad because of systemic evil, deep, you know, like they just view it at a completely different level. Right. So most people never get past the childhood childhood stage of faith. And so what they need is certainty. They yeah. need the psychological security of certainty. So when charismatic leaders get up and they preach things, people just say, it's true, the prophet said it. Because w they want to get to adulthood, but they're terrified of adolescence because adolescence is about doubt, deconstruction, wrestling, push, mm -hmm. challenge. And most Pentecostal leaders don't know how to deal with adolescence. They only know how to deal with compliant children. Right. And so when right. someone comes along and they push back, they're like, this is an honor culture. You're doubting God's word. But that's actually the only way you get into mature adulthood is to go through that sort of a valley, whatever. So I think there's a lot of people susceptible because they've never grown beyond spiritual childhood. Uh -huh. um, they're afraid of what comes next because it feels like losing your faith rather than deepening your faith. And um, 
and a lot of leaders love compliant children. So what you'll see, particularly in large churches with charismatic pastors, is you have a culture that is that is built on childhood compliance. You can't challenge the leader, cannot question, otherwise you're disloyal, you have a negative spirit, those sorts of things. And, um, and you'll often find people who leave that. Now, some of them will get stuck in perpetual adolescence, cynicism, deconstruction, and never become adults. But many will go through that phase and become healthy adults in other churches, and they'll look mm-hmm. back on that with gratitude, but also sadness at the lack of maturity. And I think that that would be my mm-hmm. meta-diagnosis. There would be so mm-hmm. many exceptions mm-hmm. to much of the charismatic tradition. Yeah. I, so charismatic tradition, sorry, I interrupted, um, Jen, but I, I think I just want to camp here for a moment and, and let that get flushed out a little bit. Um, because I think that's an incredible synopsis of mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. on where the charismatic church is at. And, you know, the idea of actually stepping into that next season of maturity and what does that look like? Um, I'll ask my question and you ask your question. <clears throat> Are you comfortable with your people wrestling with truth? I mean, am I comfortable with it? Have you read the Psalms? <laughs> yes, of course I am. Jesus wrestled with truth in God's will. Mm-hmm. Father, is there yeah. any other way? Yeah. Now, he still had yeah. a spirit of obedience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fundamental commitment. But it mm-hmm. doesn't mean he liked it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, if I want a church food with compliant, shallow people whose faith is shaken, as soon as they take one, you know, read read um, one Bart Ehrman book. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not trying to build fragile people who are compliant yeah. to my leadership. I'm trying to build strong people yes. who can thrive in the midst of secularism. And so yes. people have to people have to wrestle with this stuff. Yeah. They have it's, to. It's just yeah. no, and it's and it's we actually um, we actually stay in the charismatic church. We stay away from it. Right. Wrestling with truth. Right. And we're, we're thinking if you're wrestling with truth, we don't, a lot of times, even I've seen parents, they don't have faith in God to let their children wrestle mm-hmm. and they're afraid they're going to fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think yeah, wrestling was... is a part of the maturing process. That's yeah. essential. Yeah. And, with truth. and I think, uh, I think oh, no, part so... of it, <laughs> you go. You go. I think, I think part of it actually is a cultural thing as well, because I think Americans, especially American Christians, don't value critical thinking. And so these kids are taught, they get, you know, they become Christians at seven and eight, obedience, 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 modification of behavior, and then they get to college and spin out because they're hearing logical explanations from the other side. And yeah. that critical thinking isn't really introduced into, in my opinion, in American society until you're in college, where I've observed yeah. in other cultures, they begin critical thinking in the home years before that. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, the other thing I was going to say is like, what do we mean by faith? And so I don't view, sure, there is a content component of faith, belief to a set of doctrines, Christian yeah. worldview. Faith is fundamentally, I mean, according to some theologians, and it's certainly within the the conceptual idea of what faith is, faith is a relational term, not an intellectual term. Right. So like my faith, I am supremely loyal to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I still, I still have doubts. I still struggle to figure out, you know, 
There's so many things, but I'm loyal to Jesus because yes. the, the, the person of Jesus has completely fulfilled the deepest relational cries of my heart. Amen. So I think I, it's, I, I think it's actually fine to wrestle with hard things if you cultivate loyalty to Jesus. And I think yeah. people view wrestling with things as disloyalty to Jesus. Now, that being said, I, um, the thing that the word of faith people get right, they get a lot of things wrong. But the thing they get right is that faith is faith is something that matters to God. Yeah. But faith again is trust. Yeah. It's not willpower. Right. You know, but so it is important to have a culture of faith. It is important to have a culture of trust in Jesus. That's very, very different than just um, Christian doctrine is easy and can be believed without questioning and all the rest of it. So right. holding those things in temptation, they're like oil and water in the charismatic world. They just sort of don't mix well when they're actually yeah. designed to support one another, you know? Right, right. So. No, I appreciate that. And I, I remember going through a tough season with the Lord and I said to him, am I falling or am I growing away? You know what I mean? Am I fall? Am I growing? Oh, sorry, I mixed it up. Am I growing deeper? Or am I falling away? That that sense of, it, I felt like I was straddling a season in God, yeah. and I was afraid yeah. to to step into the next season because it was uncertain. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, no, but totally. We get so there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm the good. challenge of being a charismatic. Uh, and uh, look, I am. <laughs> I am a charismatic. I mean, like this, this is my tribe. I self-identify. Yeah. I'm not yeah. throwing shade. Like I'm a Presbyterian yeah. and no, like no. I'm, I'm yeah. in it, but, um, the chat, the challenge I think we face particularly around this area is when you're a charismatic, you often have experiences with the spirit that non-charismatics don't have. Right. So if you, you watch someone become a charismatic, have a genuine touch of the manifest presence of God or see the gifts of the spirit. They get a word of knowledge. They have that one Corinthians 14 moment. They fall on their face and they say, surely God is among you. There's yes. no way you could have known the secret of my heart because you get exposed to the power and presence of God. If that goes away, you can't get addicted to that. Right. And if that goes away, a lot of people think I'm backsliding, I've lost yes. my faith or whatever. When you go to other traditions, like even a teaching like the dark night of the soul, what the dark night right. of the soul basically says is God is, is literally checking the depth of your love. And yeah. like a little baby who has to hold mummy's hand when he sleeps because he's scared of the dark. But at yeah. 13 years old, it's like, let me put a little night light on. And when you're older, you just sleep through the night. It's a part of God's weaning process of the addiction in an unhealthy way um, to the spectacular parts of Christianity. And it goes into a deeper love. And so I think because we're not drawing on enough traditions, yes, we don't have the tools to handle God's desire to mature us. We always view it as doubt and it keeps us in immaturity. Amen. That's why I've always Amen. been drawn into other Christian theological traditions, because if you're hungry, you will eat from any restaurant that's serving yes. food. Exactly. Yes. I'm like, yes. man, Presbyterians serving food over here. What do you guys have? Hey, the Anglicans, yes. you got some stuff? Let me get in on the Anabaptists. Mm -hmm. I, I like what you're doing over there. So, and I think when you do that, you find um, the gift of the body of Christ, the whole gift of the body of Christ. And charismatics are often like, we're the ones with the Holy Spirit. It's like, it is true. 
but you're also ones without all the other traditions that help you get along without the Holy Spirit's manifest presence like you used to too. So bringing it all together is important. No, amen. I no, love I, that. I do too. I think you, I love your perspective. I know you, you shared a little bit of that with earlier in a, another conversation, but it's so key to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm truly burdened. Um, and so that kind of brings me to our just wrestling with some of this stuff. So it brings me kind of to our, you know, let's go into the second phase of the podcast here. Um, <clears throat> 2020 COVID. So uh-huh. you, um, I mean, you were in New York, which would kind of be one of our epicenters. So just give us a little bit of those. I would just like to hear some of your thoughts. I mean, just experience on the first month, first weeks, COVID, how did it impact you? What do you think? Well, <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, most of our team got COVID. Uh, I got COVID. My wife got COVID in March. Oh, wow. So this is right okay. at the start. Oh, my of gosh. Um, you know, I was in Hawaii speaking at YWAM in Kona, loving it. And uh, on Monday, it was like, right before I went, I was like, I got one friend who's sort of like connected to the CDC and he was like, I'm mentally preparing you now. This is going to be a pandemic. And I was like, what does that even mean? I saw that movie. What? He's like, this is going to be bigger than any of us know. So I sort of went to Hawaii, like, you know what, paying pay attention to it. On Monday, it was like, oh, yeah, it's gaining a little bit of traction. On Tuesday, I was like, i got to change my flight, flight home. It was moving so quickly. So I ended up changing my flight, flying home on Thursday instead of Friday. And then so we pivoted. We're the first church I knew to cancel all of our services in person. Like, guys, it's going to be worse than we know. So we said we're going to do one last live broadcast before we start pre-recording and at that last live broadcast we did a big group photo to mark the moment and that is the covid passing photo that's where oh someone had covid word. and then everyone got covid <laughs> so yeah so i mean not not everyone but a ton of people in that picture ended up getting covid so i mean my wife was like deathly ill in bed for a month horrifically sick i was sick for oh, about wow. 10 days very very badly sick um you know, it's it's very, very hard to articulate the intensity mm-hmm. of the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very hard to articulate. You know, I, I, I am right now um, two blocks from Times Square. So you, you guys know, know where I am. Um, two blocks from Times Square, one of the busiest, most population-dense places on planet Earth, and it just turned into a ghost town. Ghost mm-hmm. town. On Easter morning, which was April, I walked into Times Square to pray and just declare the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I'm like, I'm a charismatic. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I release resurrection power in the city of New York. I'm all about the stuff. And I was, this was not early in the morning. It wasn't 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. I was the only person in Times Square. Wow. No one else. I mean, it was just startling. So the city took a huge like the, the, the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty, um, that it was like a shared cultural trauma. Yeah. Okay. Very, yeah. very profound. You know, um, one of the things I learned as a result of it is that our culture cannot maintain that level of trauma as right. a society. It just, it just can't. So at some point people are like, we're just getting on with our lives. Like we've got to live our lives. And so it was the level of intensity to where it is now. I mean, now it's like, you know, people have normalized wearing a mask and business. You can't still eat inside restaurants um, here. So there's a lot of like restaurants on the street. 
started coming back, but it was very, very hard. The church did an amazing job rallying, serving, praying. Um, Black Lives Matter came in the middle of that, uh, George Floyd's death um, mm-hmm. sort of really added another layer of complexity in the city, like all of that pent up angst of being isolated and uncertainty was compounded in a sense of rage and collective frustration, just the bubble burst. Yeah. And, um, but even then, you know, like we can't maintain that level of anxiety and anger. It's like there was a, a man killed in two, two black men killed in Columbus. And uh, one, one guy was just holding his cell phone, walking out of the garage with his cell phone. And I just thought America's going to explode. You want to talk about an unjust death. This is a guy hold, literally holding his phone up, walking out of a garage and he gets shot. It, it barely did a thing because yeah. we just can't maintain that level of trauma as a nation anymore. We don't have the capacity or resilience to do it. And so, you know, there's still simmering anxiety underneath it, but we can't live at that level of intensity. Yeah. So basically it would be like, you know, you, you go to a, a hyper-anxious state and then you burn out and you go to a despondent state. And yeah. so you're just like pinging between overwhelmed and exhausted and depressed. And so that's basically been the rhythm. So, you know, wow. what was it like okay. pastoring in the midst of that? I, I, I basically, um, I felt God say something so contrarian to me, so contrarian to me. It was, I didn't know how to process it, but I tried to obey it. I felt God say to me, I want you to enjoy me. Hmm. I want you to enjoy me. And I was like, how do I enjoy you when there's blood in the streets? How do I enjoy you when, you know, there's people on my team who have trauma because there was just ambulances going 24-7. I've got PTSD from ambulance sirens. I mean, how do I enjoy yeah. you? And I just felt God say to me, you've got to tend to your heart. You've got to enjoy me. So I wow. would get up in the mornings and I would just basically abide John 15, meditate, yeah. marinate slowly through God's word, worship. I'd read poetry try and get in a non-anxious state. I try and focus on the fact that I have eternal life. I'll live in the new heaven and the new earth. I'll see God face to face. He'll wipe away every tear. It's a concept called eschatological realism, which basically means you have a vision so compelling of the future, you're pulled into it. It's so you're yeah. pulled into God's reality. Yes. And um, I, so I just spent the mornings meditating on that. And I'm t- it took me about two hours a day, not out of like, I'm hungry for the presence out of like, this is what I need. Yes. I'm this sick that yeah. if I don't get this much medicine, totally. I can't get through the day. Yeah. Almost like being on dialysis, that. like I've got to go through this to function. Mm-hmm. And um, so as a result, I felt like I came out of it with a very healthy soul. Yeah. It's, you know, exhausted, um, overwhelmed, heartbroken, dealing with just like the most you know, level 10 human tragedy. Um, but uh, by the grace of God, we've come through it pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I, I think Ephesians 6 was a huge comfort to me, having done everything else, Stan. Yeah. And, like, there, there was days where my entire spiritual warfare and intercession was me standing on a corner and just saying, Jesus, I'm still here. Amen. Wow. And that Beautiful. was that all wow. I could do. All I could do. Heaven, behold I am here, and yeah. this is all I can do. I just stand. I do not yield the ground. So it was heavy, bro. It yeah. was heavy. No, I. I'm so I mean, proud of our team and our church, man. I mean, my leaders, our people. I mean, you want to see the body of Christ on display. 
the people in our church using their gifts, sacrificing, giving, loving, serving, caring. It was like a, it was so beautiful. Like I, as much as you can have pastoral pride, like I can't believe I get to, to be in life with these people. I yeah, my heart just yeah. swell up with how people responded. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so what is, what's church look like for you guys these days? Are you still hundred percent online and, yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't met for 10 months. Um, you know, we've had a prayer ministry, so we've always tried to be a praying church. So we've had four hours of prayer um, a day. We've done um, that on Zoom. Our services are pre-recorded in our offices here. Um, I have no idea when we'll do services again. It could okay. be May. It could be September. We have no property. We meet in three public – we meet in three schools. Yep. And yeah. so we're subject to the Department of Education and the administration. Oh, wow. I didn't even in. think about that. That's huge. Because mm-hmm. they're yeah, totally so closed they, right now. You know, whenever they feel like they want to start having outside, the risk of an outside random totally. super spreader perceived threat coming in. So <laughs> it's, all, it's, all, it's all very uncertain. Um, we've just focused on like trying to make disciples of Jesus and seek God. What else can you do? You know? yeah, yeah yeah totally so it's it's been good it's been good in many ways i mean i feel very disoriented I feel very sad a lot you know like gosh you know everybody's told me you're not preaching to a camera you're preaching through a camera blah 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 these are all substitutes for embodied beings gathering is a core part of what it means to follow yes. jesus i i miss our church yes. i miss our yes. people that's fundamentally how i feel um yeah. but i got more staying power in me like I got, okay. I've got by the grace of God, whatever it takes to get through this yeah. and quite a bit left in the tank to rebuild on the other side. I believe oh, beautiful. I have Come faith. On. I have confidence. Um, I, you know, my, my whole word has been Jeremiah 17, trusting in God, being my roots going into the stream of God. And uh, like, that's a, that's a reality for me. Like I yeah. feel the nourishment of heaven coming into my soul supernaturally empowering me and i'm terrified to move away from the stream into independence yeah you know yeah. so no, no Je- jennifer and i are in a unique season right now in our lives and so we're praying daily together and we all we do is we find we're going through some chapters and praying them and i'm telling you it is the most refreshing life-giving mm-hmm. sustaining uh and when we miss a day, I feel it. Yeah. It's that, yeah, that what yes, you described. Yes. Like, I'm desperate for the word of God right now. Yeah, and desperate to pray together in unity. It just is the only thing that quenches us. Yeah. So, you know, you being a sovereignty of God guy, just loving God's leadership and sovereignty, uh, what the heck, 2020? What, what, what? <laughs> What's is God that, talking? That, that, that was the wrath of God, mate, on America. I mean, that's not mm. even a controversial statement. I don't believe we're under the, the so. I mean, the Greek word orge used in Romans one. It's this. It's it's not the active wrath of God. It's more terrifying. It's the mm. passive wrath of God. It's where He hands you over to whatever you want to do. He's basically you don't want to be God. Okay, man. Mm. I mean, just, just deconstruct the family and see what happens. Totally. Right. Stop, totally. Stop seeing each other's humanity. Demonize <clears throat> each other instead of having a worldview that demonizes, that includes the supernatural enemy, and you destroy yep. each other. And yeah. um, so I think it's tragic. I don't think it reflects God's heart. 
like you know like he's i don't think he ha- takes any pleasure or delight in this but i think we've said god get out and he said okay uh charles taylor who's a, a catholic sociologist probably the best stuff written on secularism he says what modern society has done he says what christians do is they exercise demons out of people we do deliverance to get demons out of people secularism has delivered our culture from god we've exercised god from our culture we've cast him out and so as a result all we're left with is human systems we're left with the flesh we're left with some measure of god's common grace you know that that works in the world to restrain in various ways but i think god's just said okay this is the first national crisis we've had that's had no religious framing. Tell me a TV show where they brought a pastor on to ask, where is God? They didn't. Uh-huh. They brought scientists on to say, when's the vaccine coming? Yep. So this is the first fully secular crisis our nation has faced. And um, so, you know, I mean, Trump called a very, very weak, half-hearted political day of prayer that had no teeth to it. Um uh, you know, another thing that I think was interesting, it revealed how lukewarm or how far the church has fallen, to use yes. Jesus' language, yeah. because we couldn't we couldn't even sustain enough urgency of prayer to plead all the way through the crisis. Yeah, we got we got those we got those Christian adrenaline COVID prayers, and they all just ran out, and then we all just went back to binging Netflix. And I'm not saying this in a legalistic sense. Totally, yeah. totally. I say this in the sense that we could not sustain urgency for god to move collective yeah. will to seek him so you you think back to all those 714 movements and it's all gone man. where's that yep yeah yep. yeah no it's true and that's where i mean yeah i've got lots of opinions on this but um it's not me supposed to be talking well, right g- now, give but... us a few give us a few come on <laughs> well no just i you know uh i think i believe it was actually tim keller said um his perspective on coming out of this is going to be almost a replanting of our churches. And oh, you know, I, I, yes, yes. but it's just, I'm just seeing that, that actually my, my eyes have been open to actually the church is actually not very strong. No. And we, we get out of the habit of going and talking to our friends and getting a good message and being a good worship. We get out of that habit and all of a sudden I no longer actually I'm, sh- I'm not sure I, I actually how much my faith was feeding me and, right. and people have it's fascinating where people are landing in this season with their faith and yeah. the priorities of the word shaping their their perspective on things so I, I I'm I'm fascinated by the whole season you yeah know. and it, it feels like God you know he always plays multi-level chess and it, it yeah, feels sure. like to, to the body of Christ he's got his foot on our neck and he's making us lie down in green pastures. So it, it's the sense of what you were talking about, of you needed to find him and feed your soul. And I think there's that sense of deal with the boredom and find me here. Like, seek me, find me. And he's knocked out our systems. Our programs are gone. Like everything that we could depend on. And now we're left face to face with God. And we have to ask ourselves, is, it, is he enough? Is he enough yeah. for us? Yeah, and, and I think wrestle. sadly, I think a lot of folks are like, not really. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, what that's I think the, too. That's the sad thing. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, Corey, Corey Russell's stuff on on, uh, and maybe it's Mike, <laughs> Mike, uh, Mike stuff. I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but like the stuff on breaking through boredom is like the truest thing. And I felt like that's what God was saying to me when He's saying like, enjoy me. 
Yeah. You know, which is like, I am, my default prayer is intercession and I'm a contender. I'm a promise prayer. Yep. I'm a back and forth, you know, declarer. Totally. And I felt God just saying the life is in the meditation. Yeah. You know, so it's like Psalm 1, the blessing comes to those who meditate, not those who read it, not even those who obey. Though it's yeah. important. Totally. They yeah. meditate day and night. And so yep. um, one, one thing I've been talking about with my daughter a lot is, um, in New York, they have these Christmas markets and um, they have the Bright Park market. They have one uh, uh, downtown and they have one just up here. And they have these French chocolates. They're amazing. And there's a French guy and he walks around and he says, no chewing, no chewing. And he gives you these little bits of chocolate and you just have to let it melt on your tongue. If you chew it, the taste is gone in 10 seconds. But if you let it, it'll sit there for five minutes and it's like yeah. getting in your saliva glands and it's getting into your inner man. You're loving it. You're just like, what is that? Give me a box. And I think that's the approach that's borne the most fruit for me is getting yes. back to biblically meditating on the word, you know? Yes. And when I was a new believer, I had a, I had a guy saying this to me. He's like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Who the Lord? Who is the Lord? He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Knows the stars, calls them forth one by one, knows them each mm -hmm. by name. Mm -hmm. Job says, these are but the outskirts of his ways. Yes. How yes. big is our God? That, that is my Lord. And then mm -hmm. he's my shepherd. Well, mm -hmm. what does a shepherd do? You know, like by the time I'm done with Psalm 23, I'm, I'm ready for revival. I'm ready to preach yeah. a crusade. I'm ready to raise the dead. I'm like so filled with it. And that's the stuff we don't get to because we get bored. We can look yeah. at a sensational clip of a gifted preacher. There's a worship clip online that will stir us up rather than getting our spirit in connection mm -hmm. with his spirit. It's yes. what another guy calls, we have so many seed substitutes. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. something for like actually getting to the seed that bears good fruit. So I think that's a lot of it, the boredom stuff, just sitting with the word, and spending enough time with it where it reveals the treasure contained within it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it, John. Um, again, just I encourage you. What's what's a website or what's your church website or give us something? This is very easy to remember. Church.nyc. Oh, that's easy. <coughs> Excuse me. Beautiful. If you want to see our yeah. prayer stuff, it's pray.nyc. So okay. it's simple. Super yeah. easy. Yeah. No, go check it out. I just have great respect for John and, and uh, what he carries and and uh, so I would encourage you guys to go check them out. And uh, thanks so much, guys, for listening, following. Click, like, whatever you want to do. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys again next time. Thanks so much, John. Any parting no words? Any parting words? Grace, Grace and peace. <laughs> there it is. All right. Thanks. God bless, guys. And we'll talk to you again. Ciao, ciao.